Hello there. You're listening to Second World Problems, a podcast not just for men, but for women and children too. This episode, I'm Morgan, and I have the high ground. And I'm Finn, host of this podcast, and I'm a little tall for a stormtrooper. <laughs> no, sure. Fuck. <laughs> Look, that's what we're going with. <laughs> Keeping it in. Keep on trucking. I'm so sorry, everyone. It has been a week. It has been a week. Okay. So if you have a guest this week on Second World Problems, we're doing The Jedi. That's right. The episode we've teased for like three episodes now. We've got there at last. Star Wars. Yay. Yay. Although you may not be saying that once we get to the end because I have opinions. <laughs> I mean, I not have opinions, but I definitely have opinions yeah, well, this time. It's good. That's the whole point of having a podcast is to air your opinions. All right. So... We're going to jump in, as normal, into our overview. So we're going to start with Invention. You should know the, the drill by now. So I've put High Invention. Um, in a general sense, there's it's sort of soft sci-fi in the films. Like, it's not it's not hardcore sci-fi. Um, that, like, it, it's not – it's very influenced by fantasy and, like, westerns and other genres. Yeah, it's like, a, like a mishmash. Yeah, so it's not like it's not um it's not particularly based in the science part of science fiction, but rather the idea of like the space part as opposed to like the actual science part. But you know, since it's got a lot of spin-off TV, novel, and animated animated productions, it does have a lot of room to expand on the experience of this galaxy that has been created. So um, the planetary constructions and cultures are quite varied. The laws of the universe are also pretty unique in the whole with the whole conception of the Force. Um, more specific to what we're talking about today, um, the concept of a religious order like the Jedi, which has become so well known that almost everyone knows the concept of a Jedi, even if they haven't watched the films, um, does indicate that it, it's something of its own kind in its own way that does, you know, it's quite inventive in that and that it's taken on its own life. Um, And then also the fact that the Jedi and the Sith are such unforgettable naming devices also speaks to a high level of invention. Like the Jedi and the Sith, it sounds cool. Um, And it's not something you've, like it's not a naming device that we've encountered prior to or outside of this. Star Wars universe. All right, so completeness. Uh, considering the expansiveness of the Star Wars universe, I would say that there is a lot about specifically the Jedi, returning to our point, that could be explored or also and or retconned. So the idea of the Jedi is presented as quite rigid, but across the films, TV and novels, there's quite a lot of ways for the Jedi to be presented and many of them show that there's a lot about the Force and the Jedi that can be expanded upon or um, is not necessarily – or is, is, is experienced differently across different vehicles of production. So there's – not everything is adherent to, to the films or just to the novels or just to the games or just to the TV shows. Yeah. You know, there's a lot. It could be expanded upon, but instead they've decided that the thing they need to do is just focus on Skywalker as a concept – and expand upon yep. that constantly. Because that's, that's the only thing that matters is Skywalker. <laughs> Nothing else, just the name Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is a little, the, 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 the focus is quite narrow in what we actually get. 
But there's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot that could be explored at some point in the future. Maybe, hopefully, I, I can dream. You can dream, but you can also dream that it's Dave Filoni. He's doing it. Um, ah, Dave. That's pretty pretty much the only way I'd be okay with it. I love I, Dave. If you're I, listening, Dave, keep up the good work. Love you. Yeah, you're doing so good. But also, like, the more Star Wars stuff we get that's not great, the less I like Star Wars, which is an issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is the hard part. It's like that inner conflict that a lot of Star Wars fans at the moment is like, I want to like Star Wars, but they make it so hard. Yeah. Um, so consistency. So I think the concept of being a Jedi is fundamentally at odds with the nature of humanity. And here we get into my opinions already. Um, <laughs> right so I think it. they're right into it. I'm not going to, I will spare none in this um, look at the Jedi. So I think there are inconsistencies inherent in the system, but I also think, also think that the best Jedi across the stories are the ones who do not define themselves by the Jedi code or are a little bit radical um, and they are consistent within their own values and parameters. So I think the Jedi are more consistent in being what the Jedi should be after the fall of the Republic. It's sort of like that thing, you know what they say, uh, that line in Endgame that like I probably shouldn't, like I don't really care about Endgame as a movie, but like there's that one line that Freak has to Thor and it's um, a hero is is defined not by how well they succeed at being who they should be, but at being who they are. It's sort of like that, but for the Jedi. So the best Jedi tend to be the ones who succeed at being who they are, not what a Jedi should be. Yeah, they, they do what they know is right despite what they the code is which is like yeah. it's controversial because anakin also did things like that and it led him down a bad path but then you also have like yeah. the, the the um juxtaposition to that is ahsoka did that and didn't so it's like eh. yeah. yeah 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 so yeah i mean and i fully expect that listeners will disagree on many points that i bring up on this but that's okay it's inherent with star I'm wars it's inherent with Star Wars, and also I'm the one with the podcast, so. Yeah, if you if you have problems with it, start your own podcast and do an episode about this. And then yeah. we can have a podcast off. We can fight. So moving right into structure. So we're going to start with nature and setting. Um, so the Jedi Order began on the planet Act 2, and this is where the Jedi ancient texts were kept. So it was a planet which also had the first Jedi Temple. Um, people who have seen the movies have seen this planet in the new trilogy, um, as it's the planet where Luke Skywalker goes into exile and then is found by Rey. Um, it is a heavily oceaned world with rocky islands. Porgs are the most recognisable creatures because everyone thought they were so cute because they are. Marketing. Um, and unoriginally, <laughs> unoriginally, the island with the Jedi temple, temple is called Temple Island. Classic. The Jedi yeah. are not good at naming things. That's another thing that we <laughs> they're 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 kind of Yeah. Name. Creativity is not a Jedi trait. Yes. Um, so the Jedi Order then eventually moved the main operations hub to the core planet and capital of the Galactic Republic of Coruscant. The temple there was also a training school for younglings and Padawans who learned the ways of the Force under the supervision of Jedi Masters, 12 of whom were elected to serve on the Jedi High Council. It is a city-covered planet known as Galactic City. Like, the whole planet's a city. Like, that's just wild to yeah. me. Yeah. It's so weird that it's like it's it, the planet is called Coruscant and the whole planet is a city and it's called Galactic City. It's like, isn't shouldn't this the the city be called Coruscant at that point? That's yeah. yeah. Let's not get Very into true. it. <laughs> All right, the Jedi the Jedi Order also has many temp temples located with throughout the galaxy, such as the Temple on the Thor. For those who have seen Star Wars Rebels, 
that's really all we have on setting because there's a whole galaxy and the only bits that matter to the Jedi Order are the temples. <laughs> they like their temples. We're going to move right along into rules. So the Jedi adhere to a, to a doctrine that favors the light side of the Force, aspiring to attain a, st- attain a state of inner tranquility through calmness and meditation while avoiding emotions affiliated with the dark side of the Force, such as anger and hatred. The ancient enemy is the Sith, who are a religious order of dark Force wielders. The Sith um, are driven by their emotions, including hate, anger, and greed, and are deceptive and obsessed with gaining power no matter the cost. Um, Like most religious orders, the Jedi live by a code or an oath. So the Jedi Code was a set of rules that govern the behavior of the Jedi Order. It taught its followers to not give in to feelings of anger towards other life forms, which would help them resist fear and prevent them from falling to the dark side of the Force. Amongst other dictates, the Jedi Code forbade Jedi Knights and Jedi Masters from taking on more than one Padawan at a time and forbade Jedi from forming attachments such as marriage and other specific individual bonds such as family or romantic love. Um, Few understood that this practice of non-attachment did not mean that the Jedi were strangers to compassion because they believed all life was precious. They just aren't allowed to form specific attachments to life forms. Um, The code also forbade the Jedi from killing an unarmed opponent as well as seeking revenge. Some good. There's some good stuff in there. We're going to get into my feelings on the Jedi Code. <laughs> <laughs> but the mantra of the Jedi Code is, or the one that most people would be familiar with, is there is no emotion, there is peace, there is no ignorance, there is knowledge, there is no passion, there is serenity, there is no chaos, there is harmony, there is no death, there is the Force. Or an, There's also an alternate version of the Code, which is emotion yet peace, ignorance yet knowledge, passion yet serenity, chaos yet harmony, death yet, yet the Force. Just a shorter version. Just, yeah, basically, same things but distilled. So that's, that's the ideals that the Jedi have to sort of live up to. Or the ones they have to keep in mind, they use to meditate. Um, that's what they have to reflect upon in their Jedi-ness. It's a bit... Um, I can't think of the word. What's the word? It's a bit like uh, artsy fartsy, or like uh, there's a word that I can't think of. We'll come back to it. But there's a word vague. That, vague. It's not quite vague. Um, it's like a little not uh pre- like pretentious. I think is the word I'm thinking of. It's a bit pretentious, maybe. I think it asks a lot, to be honest. Yeah, I think a... it asks a lot. <laughs> yeah, for you to experience those things, and in and it's constructed in a way that I that I would say a lot of religious like orders that are similar religious orders that are similar in our world do not require so much of their people as the jedi require of their people like it's asking a lot it's like setting people up to fail constantly (laughs) pretty much um again we'll get into it further on i have many many thoughts and feelings and i'm going to share them all so the Jedi have many different areas of the Order. However, the one that canon generally focus on, focuses on is the Order of the Jedi Knights. So the Jedi Knights were a noble order of Force-sensitive protectors united by their ability to use the Force who upheld peace and justice in the Galactic Republic for over a thousand generations. As keepers of the peace, the Jedi Order undertook diplomatic missions on behalf of the Galactic Senate and pursued interplanetary criminal, criminals across the galaxy. There are three types of Jedi Knight or three schools of thought and study. There are the diplomatic Jedi Consular, so they're known for having green lightsabers, so like Yoda. 
There are the battle-driven gar- Jedi Guardians who have blue lightsabers, so Anakin Skywalker. Obi-Wan. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then and the why not be both and also a munitions expert, Jedi Sentinel. So the Jedi Guards are Sentinels and have yellow lightsabers. So that's just an example. I also think Quinlan Voss is a Sentinel. Yeah, there's a couple that come to mind. The Grand Inquisitor in Rebels was yeah. a Sentinel before getting turned and becoming the Inquisitor. Mm. They're not very focused. They're like the most underrepresented group. But they're also sort of my favorite because they're a bit of a catch-all. They get to do, they get to like, they get to be the both of just, of both consular and guardian. Yeah. Because they basically choose their specialization in like, like they can do both, but then they choose like a specialization outside of that as well. So I just think, I think they're underrepresented and be really cool to see more Jedi Sentinels. Like Ahsoka would probably be a Sentinel if it wasn't for the fact that she left the Order. Yeah. It's also like it's kind of like, like there's all this focus on like these other orders. It's like I want to see that like the Sentinels just chilling and on the day of Order sixty six, they're like oh like see like the day in the life of one and like them escaping maybe they're just like doing their job hanging around the temple and they're like oh fuck gotta get out of here. <laughs> Something's going down. Yeah. Um. So in order to achieve the rank of Jedi Knight, Padawans undergo the Jedi trials. During the trial, Padawans must go through nine steps of trial. Teamwork, isolation, fear, anger, betrayal, focus, instinct, forgiveness, and protection. However, in specific circumstances, a Padawan can be promoted in the field or in a circumstance outside of the traditional trial. So, for instance, Obi-Wan Kenobi undergoes a field promotion after the defeat of Maul in Phantom Menace and becomes a Jedi Knight. Um, Ahsoka Tano's trial is interrupted and is offered... um, and a promotion is offered following the fallout of that and its resolution, which is covered in the Clone Wars animated series. So the Jedi Order is run by the Jedi High Council. The Council consists of 12 Jedi Masters who oversee and govern the Order as a whole. Although the Jedi support the Galactic Republic and swear allegiance to its government, the Galactic Senate, the Council possesses um, autonomy to govern the affairs of the Order without interference from politics um the council's ranks include two notable positions so the grand master which is yoda um during the pre-fall of the republic times um and it's an honorific bestowed upon the oldest and wisest living jedi presiding over the council and then there's the master of the order who is the elected leader of the jedi order in the pre-fall of the republic times this is mace window window which is not really covered as much in the prequel movies, but is very obvious in the Clone Wars animated series. Yes. So now we get into culture inhabitants. Now we're not going to cover. Uh, we're not going to cover everything. So I, I challenge you, This is an in- like only one. One of them stands out to me. Like wh- read your list, and then I'll question it. I'm going to say. I'm going to get Morgan to name his top five Jedi. I have already, uh, and now again, there's room for argument here because most of them might not typically be considered Jedi. <laughs> but my top five Jedi are Sokatano, Ezra Bridger, Yoda, Plo Koon, and then Qui Gon Jinn. Okay, question: Why Plo Koon? Is it because of his relationship I, with Ahsoka? Is that the only reason? I know it's. I know it doesn't seem like. I know he's not very well known. But I do, because, like, I have watched Clone Wars, the animated series, and I do really think he is one of the few Jedis that has that, like, that has that all, like, 
critical mindset. Like he's not quite there. He's not like on the level of Kwai Gwon Jin, but like he's not. I don't know. I just I find his wisdom, and like every time he's in the animated series, I find it very. I don't know. I just find I find it mixed as well with like with like what I like to see in a Jedi. Yeah, I guess. that's fair. He's 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 uh, always fun to watch in the Clone Wars. Like an episode with him, he's he's cool cool commander. Yeah, and he's like he's very um he's very like community minded. I suppose that's what I what I mean when I say he's got what I like in a Jedi. Yeah. Like he cares about his community, he cares about his clone troopers, and he cares about Ahsoka. But he also gives extremely good advice, and I like that. Like <laughs> like there's just this one moment when like um Ahsoka's off like on a mission without Anakin and Anakin's freaking out because of course he is because he's super emotional but Plo Koon's <laughs> like you know you like if you've taught her well she'll take care of herself like you know she's determined she's all this and I'm like oh man Plo Koon you just talk sense and I just love it like he community-minded talk sense yeah. like that's what I like down to earth yeah which is hard for a Jedi uh even yes. the radical ones aren't necessarily down to earth uh <laughs> yes so my top five... I'll, well, they I'll... can't be down to earth because they're not on earth, Morgan. Yeah, they're on Coruscant. Down to Coruscant. Um, new down phrase. To Coruscant. Uh, so I think my top five, I'm going to chuck Ahsoka in there, Ahsoka in there as well. Um, I, I'm going to actually, instead of saying Ezra, I'm going to say Kanan. Um, nice. I really yeah. like Kanan was, as a character. He was... I was like, I had him. And then I was like, oh, but I suppose I was like, I can't just have all the people from, I can't have all the ones. Like, I was like, it's not fair if all my Jedi are ones who come after the fall of the Republic. So yeah. I took him down. <laughs> but yeah, I really like Kanan. And he's like, he was a young, he kind of forged his own Jedi path, like, because he was like brought up as like a youngling and a, an apprentice mm. and then kind of went off. But yeah. And I think that's like, I haven't watched any more Rebels. And I think the reason is because I'm, sl- I'm putting it off because I'm very close to the episode where yeah. he, spoiler alert, he, he dies. He, he <laughs> dies. It's awful. It's but, awful. So I think that's putting me off finishing it. But yeah, so I think I'd chuck him in instead of Ezra. I just like him more. Like Ezra has problems and he does grow and by the end he's good, but Kanan is just great character. Um, I, and, um, I understand why he isn't on your list, but I'm going to chuck him on mine. I really like Obi-Wan. Yeah. Um, especially like, I, I understand he wasn't fit to be, he wasn't ready to be, um, have Anakin as his apprentice No. and he did the best he could. He, I think you did a good job. Yeah. All I've, things considered. I was reading a thing where it's like their relationship was like brothers and what, what Anakin really needed was the father figure with the, yeah. so there's like this whole yeah. theory that like if Obi-Wan had died instead of Qui-Gon, it would have been different. So there's a whole thing, yes. but I, I still really like him. Um, he has some great quotes and I just love Ewan McGregor. So great portrayal. Yes. And he is surprisingly wise, considering like he is very young. Like even in the Clone Wars, he grows his beard and he looks, but he's still kind of young yes. compared to like everyone else on the council, I believe. He is quite young. He's he's wise but sassy, and that's what I, I do love that about him. Yeah, but I, it was five, <laughs> not top ten. Yeah. Um. So that's three for me. I'm gonna chuck Yoda on mine as well, just because he's there's some cool stuff. Like I just him in empire and stuff where he's just being all crazy and stuff it's yes. fun to watch yeah and then him being wise and then there's like his little mini arc following qui-gon's trail and learning to be a force ghost in clone wars that i think is really interesting so i think yeah, yeah. He, See, and... when i put yoda in the thing that i put him in for is for his force ghost uh cameos in rebels that's the yoda that 
that is the best is when he's a force ghost because yeah. that's when he's sort of that's when he's realized like the point of everything and become part of the living force like that's when he becomes a better jedi which is weird because he's dead yeah um yeah there's because he's kind of like he realizes towards the end before order 66 that the jedi has been blinded and he kind of like mm. does future planning and, mm. and there's all this stuff there so that's him uh so one, four, you've got, got one I've more got one more I don't know who to put in this one. There's a there's a couple of options. Uh, ironically, no one from the new movies. Uh, just, just, just yeah. that's interesting. Um, funny, funny about that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe if Finn had been a Jedi, he would have made it because also we share a name and like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do like. So, I think Finn would have been a fun. But Jedi. unfortunately, he was radically underused, and therefore he cannot make the list. Yeah. Um, I think. I'm gonna chuck um, Qui Gon in as well. I think he, yeah, he's like everything that like he was like radical in the right ways, not too radical, but I think yeah, he was a good example pre fall to have as a Jedi that was like thinking differently potentially. Yeah. Also, Liam Neeson. Yeah, Liam Neeson. Love me some Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. If we're going to use you and McGregor, if you're going to use you and McGregor, I love you and McGregor as like a reason, then you can't leave out I love Liam Neeson as well. All right, so now that we've done that, we're going to go into the part of, I suppose, inhabitants that relates to the order aside from our opinions on who the best Jedi are. Um, So there are a lot of different areas of Jedi deployment aside from knighthood. So they are um, the agricultural corps, so they have farmers, I guess, the Council of First Knowledge, Council of Reassignment, Council of Reconciliation, the Exploration Corps, the Jedi Assault Team, Jedi Initiate Clan... Jedi Investigators, Seekers, Jedi High Command, Jedi Temple Guard, Medical Corps, and Technical Division. So there's a lot of things that go into making a temple work that we don't see. I personally would love to know more about the Temple Guard and the Medical Corps and sort of the Seekers as well. I want to see, because I think you get kind of some of this, and this is probably, I'm just assuming because of the name, but you get some of this in Attack of the Clones, like the idea of like, the uh, Jedi being like investigators or like detectives. Yeah. And I, yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Like a movie about like just the underworld of Coruscant and maybe like a Jedi yeah. detective. Like, so that's probably that the investigator cool. one. That'd be interesting. You yeah. get a bit of that with Obi-Wan in number two, but I've also, another one of my friends was to- telling me they would love that as well. And I'm like, yeah, that's actually a great idea. Like it'd be cool yeah. to watch. It'd be much more contained. Might be more better as like a, a procedural Disney plus TV show or something, but it'd be interesting. Yeah. It would be good. Um, yes, Jedi Investigators was an interesting one to look at. I, I don't think anyone's hanging out for a, anything, a film, movie, animated series about the agricultural corpse. The Jedi farms? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> All right, so we're moving right along into society now, and this is when we start getting into my opinion, okay, the rant that is coming, prepare yourself. So... To start with, young Force-sensitive children are identified at birth and taken to the Jedi Temple on Coruscant to be trained as Jedi. They are put into classes of other Jedi younglings and are trained together before being taken as an apprentice by Jedi Knight. Younglings uh, were not tra- were not to be trained once they had reached a certain age, with the sole exception of this being Anakin Skywalker. We all know how the- how that worked out. Um, although, worked out pretty well fall of the republic for a lot of jedi padawans who are trained outside of the order i suppose yeah it's it's a weird rule it's like 
oh, we have this rule. They're not allowed to be trained after. And then the one exception yeah. turns evil. But then like afterwards, it's like people find out in their twenties, people they just, yeah. Have, like... And it's, and it's fine. It's fine. Like, like Ray, yeah. Ray found out when she was like 20 something Yeah, and it was fine. So arbitrary rule. Anyway, younglings would participate in the gathering, which was um, the pilgrimage to the Ilum temple to gain a kyber, kyber crystal for their lightsaber. Younglings are then chosen by a Jedi Knight or Jedi Master to train under their tutelage personally into becoming a fully-fledged Jedi Knight. Once a Padawan has successfully passed the Jedi Trials, they were then granted the rank of Jedi Knight and went out on missions of their own, no longer under the tutelage of a Master. A Jedi Knight was granted the rank of Jedi Master and offered a seat on the Jedi High Council when they had shown great skill, wisdom, and devotion to the Force. When a Jedi Knight successfully led a Padawan to becoming a Jedi Knight themselves, they would also be granted the rank of Master. Um, Jediism has become something of a pseudo-religion in our world, the outside world. Um, so if you want to have a look into that, you can see the Temple of the Jedi Order.org. But I will read you their um, beliefs as listed on their website. So it says, Jedi believe in the, in the force and the inherent worth of all life within it, in the sanctity of the human person. We oppose the use of torture and cruel or unusual punishment, including the death penalty in a society governed, governed by laws grounded in reason and compassion, not in, not in fear or prejudice in a society that does not discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or circumstances of birth, such as gender, ethnicity, and national origin in the, ethic of reciprocity and how moral concepts are not absolute but vary by culture, religion, and over time, in the positive influence of spiritual growth and awareness of society, in the importance of freedom of conscience and self-determination within religious, political, and other structures, in the separation of religion and government, and the freedoms of speech, association, and expression. May the force be with you, Temple of the Jedi Order. So that's like, that's a real thing. Real in our world, you can join the Temple of the Jedi Order if you wanted. I remember people like identifying. Like, it was always like a big joke with the census. They would put their yeah. religion as Jedi, and I like. It's like I wonder if that stems from that, or if that was just like these two separate things happening. I mean, one might have contributed significantly to the other. I'm sure there are people out there who identify as Jedi and may not particularly be involved in the Temple of the Jedi Order. But, um, yeah, so it's turned into sort of a real pseudo-religion. And now we finally, at last, Strap get ready for Strap yourselves in. It's time for my opinion. So, according to me, I will preface this with, according to me, the reason that the Jedi, who are a little more radical or alternative, like Qui-Gon in their views of what the Order should be doing and what the duties of a Jedi are, how to become closer to the Force, and those who are trained outside the Order tend to be more effective, well-adjusted, and less conflicted, is because like so many religious orders in fiction and outside of it, as a structure rather than a community, is a ba- it is based around the avoidance of temptation. Temptation leads to desire. Desire leads to seeking things for the self. It is also about based around the damaging principle of purity, which is an impossible and completely unrealistic ideal. The universe is messy, and by living in it, you get some of that mess on you. Advocating a lifestyle and religion based on purity and detachment not only makes you more vulnerable to temptation, because you have no leeway um, to process and recover from any sort of temptation without shame, but it's unrealistic and also unrequired by the force. Um, and that's that's how Palpatine gets you, my man. Yeah, well, I I, I I like everything you just put down. I'm picking it up. I'm I'm, I'm on board. Having said that, 
I also have to acknowledge that the philosophy of the Jedi, Jedi, which is convoluted and messy and doesn't make a lot of sense, came after the first installment of the world and the story. So it's built to fit, which has also made it almost entirely nonsensical, hence why I have issues with it. The idea of not having attachments to grow closer to the Force, which literally connects you to all things ever in existence, to avoid jealousy and fear of loss is the dumbest philosophy I've ever heard, and I'm glad that the Order was destroyed. (laughs) Like, damn, with some help, peeps could process emotions just fine, but they can't risk it because you'll catch the dark side. <laughs> it's it's weird because it's like it is a flawed it is a flawed thing, and it's like you need to be connected. And it's like yeah, it's like we were about we were so disconnected we didn't see our end coming. It's like well, the, they he did write the end, and the end came. So is that the moral of the story, or is he just trying to tie off loose ends? Like I don't know. The he I'm referencing is George Lucas, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's just like yeah, I get. Is there a message here? <laughs> I don't know. To be honest, I think it was just like, like once it got really popular, they obviously they were like, let's keep going. And then they were like, oh, we need some rules, huh? Uh, cool. So this is what the Jedi founded on. And then they just ran with it. Yeah. And, and then they like built weird... themselves into a hole. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's weird stuff like that. Like the idea that like in um, A New Hope, the clothes that um everyone was wearing was like hermit desert clothes like specific to that yeah. thing and then they just adopted that as like the jedi orders they all wear it yeah they all wear them because you know that's they got to keep keep warm in coruscant yeah. which is extremely artificial and probably has air conditioning and I, heating all the stuff you want i, I will say they kind of steered away from that a bit with anakin's clothes and then i really specifically like Anakin and Obi-Wan's design in the Clone Wars where they actually have, like, these tighter fitting and they have, like, clone battle armor gauntlets and stuff. It's like, this seems more like what a Jedi Knight potentially should be. A little bit too, maybe, militaristic for their views, but still cooler than big flowy robes. Yeah. The big flowy robes, like, the cloaks they wear, I mean, it's very dramatic when they take them off. Um, But, like, it just seems like it would get in the way. And, like, you do have to take it off every time you're going to go into battle so are they just leaving cloaks on starships all the time <laughs> probably and then getting new ones like what a waste and yeah. also like you know you're just leaving it behind you're just like oh i can't i don't have time i'm getting bombed but i left my cloak in the corner over there because i had to fight someone yeah i think Can it also is like back? To, to try and invoke that sense of like a monk or something like that as well probably yeah. yes yeah, so we will we'll talk a little bit more about that in history but Um, Moving on to something that is actually related to the universe that isn't just based on my opinion. I'm going to talk a bit about the Guardians of the Wills. The brightest stars have hearts of Kaiba. (laughs) That's my my quote for this bit. Very nice. So the Guardians of the Wills were a religious order that is most known for their small inclusion in Rogue One. The Guardians acted as a resistance, resistance group of monks active in Jeddah City on Jeddah during the Imperial Era. They traditionally handcrafted the light bow, a complicated form of bow caster native to Jeddah. The Guardians protected both the Temple of Kaiba and pilgrims who visited it. As part of his spiritual progression, a Guardian traditional had to, traditionally had to construct a light bow. The crafting process itself required that the Guardian attained the necessary skill to combine handcrafted artisanry with technology. They preferred to sense the Force and its presence, while the the disciples of the wills preferred to listen and try to understand the will of the force. I'm one with the force, the, the force is with me. One with the force, the force yes. is with me. Yes, thank you, Morgan. 
They believed that both the light and dark side of the Force were valuable. For the light to exist, there must be dark, and for the Force, there must be balance. Their mantra was, in darkness, cold, in light, cold. Uh, one of their, like, prayers, actually, was, in darkness, cold, in light, cold. The old sun brings no heat, but there is heat in breath and life. In life, there is the Force. In the Force, there is life, and the Force is eternal. So I actually prefer the Guardians of the Will's ways of looking at things in that, you know, both light and dark are valuable. You know, learn to to process your emotions in a healthy way and move forward. Don't just push them aside. Yeah, I, I just I think that they have a healthier outlook on on the force. Yeah. I I don't know much about. I just have the like um, uh, Chirrut and his friend from Rogue One, and I they like, I I know a lot of people yeah. don't like Rogue One. I'm a Rogue One sympathizer. I really like Rogue One, and specifically, I really like those two characters as well. Yeah, um, thought they were cool. Just like that 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 was like a taste. Like yeah, of like taste. of expanding into this like oh we have these other like you have the Jedi but you have the Sith here's another like little religion based around more yeah. sp- it's it was it was like a taste it was good yes and it was good and I think it's a good alternative view of the Force that is more middle ground than the Jedi who are basically far light and the Sith who are far dark yeah middle ground anyway now we've made it to history wow we're just blowing through them today so. There are many real instances of warrior monks, but few are based around um, an ideal of purity and avoidance of temptation the way the Jedi are. So we previously discussed the Christian religious order of the Templars in our Assassin's Creed episode, so we're going to talk about some other examples. So get ready to learn. Love learning. You better. (laughs) So the Sohe were powerful Buddhist warrior monks of both medieval and feudal Japan, these monk soldiers were easily recognizable because of the white cows they wore over their heads, which were shaved like all monks. The Sohei first appeared during the Heian period that lasted from 1794 to 1185. It is a period of history when Buddhism, Taoism, and other Chinese influences were at the height in Japan. The reason why the Sohei became warriors has to do with power and control. The warrior monks played a vital role when bitter political feuds began between different temples, different subsects of Buddhism, over imperial appointments to top temple positions. So, again, sort of like the Jedi, it became sort of like a political uh, force as well as a religious one. Um, Another example are Shaolin monks. So early in the 6th 6th century, the Indian sage Bodhidharma arrived at Shaolin and established the Zen school of Buddhism. The link between Zen and the martial arts was forged um, in in that period, in that place as well. So uh, Zen meditation practices were applied to the movement of the Shaolin, uh, were applied to movement and then turned into martial arts. There are There is archaeological evidence that martial arts have been practiced at Shaolin since at least the 7th century, so that's where it started. Um, Although Shaolin monks didn't invent Kung Fu, they are rightfully known for a particular style of Kung Fu. Basic skills begin with the development of stamina, flexibility, and balance. Monks are taught to bring meditative concentration into their movements. So, like, these are probably the more likely sources that George Lucas was pulling from in his creation of the Jedi. Um, it, It probably has a more... Asian influence in terms of the idea of religious warriors than, for instance, a Christian one like the Templars. That's yeah, I can see that. That seems like a good parallel. He 
Yeah, he draws. I think he also changes because I mm. think he like like initially was like kind of like the lone gunslinger Western vibe, and that was like yeah. the first. That was like maybe like the first trilogy. There's some still. I think still some like um, Eastern mystical stuff in there as well but then i think he doubled down on that in the uh in the prequels yeah. yes yeah he 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 was like oh I'll, i worked that in let's just build off that that'll yeah. do i guess probably um that's how you build a world <laughs> sometimes <laughs> you're just like that worked let's keep doing that yeah. you draw anyway. from everything and you mush it together yes so um how does religion come into the practice of a warrior monk because it, they seem like an antithetical ideas so, to, and that's why one of my issues with the Jedi is that they don't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, two factors stand out in the early history of Shaolin monastic warfare, which is economic power and strategic significance. So the temple's vast holdings required military protection, and its commanding position on the road leading to the imperial capital embroiled its monks in a battle with nationwide consequences. The monastery's military history was thus a reflection of institutional wealth as well as geographic proximity to the nexus of political power. These initial reasons for the monks' military activities were quickly joined by a third, sanctioned by political authorities. So basically they were, they were vastly wealthy. They were in a position that was close to polit- the the stronghold of political power and then they were given more power by the political authorities in that area. You'll see how the Jedi Order works in a similar sort of way. Yeah, I'm also they seeing are, the temple... a lot of comparisons, and I know we already mentioned it, but like, yeah, this is also what Templars were, like 100%. Like... Yeah, exactly, yeah, it's exactly what the Templars were. Yes, that that is how most of them become, well, Big institutions is yeah. a combination of wealth and then political um, activities, I guess. Yeah, all and these then, like religious military organizations. Yes. So it makes sense that the Jedi, even as a made up um, military religious organization, follows that same sort of uh, standard. Otherwise, the Jedi Order would, wouldn't be, what is it, 10,000 strong at the height of the Republic, as Yoda says. Yeah. They would just be like a little. A little religious order, and they wouldn't have as much power and influence. So, do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior, the Force? <laughs> yeah. Um, the the basically the second well, uh, following those three reasons, there is one more that warrior monks specifically also um, have as a reason for undertaking military action. So imperial authorization was often joined by divine sanction. So the history of the Shaolin Temple betrays an intimate connection between Buddhist violence and the veneration of Buddhist violent deities. In this respect, the Shaolin military tradition reflects the age-old contradiction between Buddhism as an ethical philosophy and Buddhism as a religion of salvation. It was in the latter, in the mythological realm of martial gods, that Shaolin monks sought an excuse for their military practice. This is where it sort of departs from the Jedi. Um, and I, so I've sort of said as a primarily protective force that has no interest in conversion, salvation or divinity beyond the force, which is not inherently violent. The Jedi have no excuse, but they also have no therapy. <laughs> so like that's where they depart. Like there, there's no there's no deity that there's no violent deity. There's no there's no conversion. Like they're not trying to save anyone's soul 
um, the Jedi aren't trying to do that. So that's not a reason they can call upon for their militaristic actions, but that is one of the more traditional ones for every other religious military order out there that the Jedi just unfortunately don't have. They also don't have therapy because if they did, they'd probably be better off. Yeah, I think they need like just like one person, one therapist uh, setting up shop in that temple would have done a world of good, and that therapist probably would have done pretty well business wise. Right. I just I I think the idea was that they were so wise in the force will be like, be our own therapist, but that's not how it works. So yes, I feel like a therapy some therapy would have gone a long way in the Jedi Order prior <laughs> to the fall of the Republic. Anyway, um, so their language is most of it is in English. There are alien various alien languages that crop up every so often but like they're not it's not notable i suppose yeah i remember actually i think like i know that they happen but i can't remember a single conversation that has had an alien at the moment there's uh stuff between anakin and um his owner well what what in the first one what oh there's also like droid speak as and well then there's droids yeah which some people can understand the language of the droids. So that's the sort of three English, and I would say droid speak are more common than breakouts into alien, which are sort of sparse but do happen. Yeah. Now we're going to move into mythology, lore, and legend because we're just blasting through it today. Smashing now it. that I've, I've worked out all, all my complicated feelings, we just get to have fun. Um, unfortunately, there isn't actually that much mythology that is connected into the Jedi specifically because they're um, so much a mishmash of different spiritual uh, like thoughts. Like it, it's sort of like a dis- distillation of spirituality into like it's just its its blandest, easiest form. So like there isn't that much. So what we are going to talk about is firstly that the force functions as a similar tenant to magic in most fantasy Um, and as i've already said it's so distilled in its concept that it has no direct connection to any one mythological supernatural or religious idea but is a result of generic aspects found in many it's sort of a catch-all spiritual it's kind of like it feels like if i were if i were to be like i want to play a jedi in a D&D campaign, I would probably play a paladin who is like yeah. somewhat in touch with magic, but doesn't quite under, it's like, I just go, I just go, it's there. I don't really know how it works. I, I feel it. Some, I feel it. Yeah. And then it, stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's like, yeah, if I were to play, it's like, this is what a Jedi is in D&D. Also fun fact. Um, I don't believe in the nonsense that is midi-chlorians. So I, we're not talking about them. If you haven't noticed, I've just completely sidestepped that whole issue. We're recording that on this podcast. It doesn't exist. So right, a lot of the movies sidestep that issue as well. So yeah, yeah, we're just following in um, the creator's footsteps and ignoring that particular part of canon for our own benefit. So um, next, we're going to talk a bit about Force Ghosts. So the coolest ghost possible. Um, so prior to his physical death, Jedi Master Qui Gon Jinn learned the means to. Re- Attaining an eternal consciousness, which he learnt from a shaman of the wills. So going back to the guardians of the wills, this is one of those dudes. Um, this shaman of the wills taught Jin that the path to retaining one's consciousness, consciousness after death required absolute self selfishness, selflessness, not selfishness. <laughs> no. 
opposite of that. Um, so those who have committed a final act of selflessness that led to their death and have come to terms with it are then able to retain eternal consciousness and return as a apparition of the force, I guess. So notable people who do that, Qui-Gon Jinn, Yoda, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker. Am I missing any? Every uh, Jedi in existence according to that last movie, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's it. Those are the ones you physically see anyway. Oh, did you say Luke? I forgot about Luke. Yeah. Luke. That's five who we see, and then we hear the voices of many others who apparently managed to that do that feat despite never knowing about it um, in well, see, that's Rise of Skywalker. I, the idea is, like, I, I understand like, the idea of, like, there's a force ghost, right? So you can you can manifest yourself as a force ghost. But then I think there's that whole idea of like all the Jedi living within Ray, and that that kind of is less of a force ghost to me, and more of like a I'm going to draw parallels to Avatar, so she can like she can like remember <laughs> that she remembers all these Jedi or something. She remembers like that. all the Jedi she's never met. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I I do really. I think that moment is really cool because I like having like all like I like like that they included Kanan's voice and I like that in, they included Ashoka Tano's voice. But like I just I also think it's kind of dumb. But I also think that whole movie is kind of dumb. So yeah. you know, it, my feelings get a bit convoluted in between the bits that I like and the bits that I think are dumb. They live in you, Anna. <laughs> they live in me. They sang that song over the top. <laughs> I think that sold it for me. Yeah, that honestly, I kind of want to do that now. I want to edit those together. <laughs> it was really good. Um, so for mythology this time, we're going to talk a bit about ghosts in general. Oh, I'm so, so ready for this. I just binged all of uh, BuzzFeed, Supernatural, Unsolved. Yeah, I'm ready to so go. good, right? All right. So most cultures have a conception of the restless dead coming back to haunt them, usually because of some sort of grievance, which includes... Issues such as improper funeral rites, lack of any kind of burial at all, death by drowning where the body was not recovered, murder in which the body was never found and so never properly buried, or to resolve some unfinished business or to provide a true account of, of events surrounding their death, such as in the event of murder and needing one's death avenge and the murderer brought, brought to justice in order to rest in peace. So those are sort of the usual reasons that people conceive that a ghost might come back. Um, however, generally most are not as chill as the Force ghosts in Star Wars, and different cultures have sought, sought ways to appease the returning dead to either make them go away or to make sure that they don't hurt you in any way. They're not coming back to spout words of yeah, wisdom. If the dead just came back to drop to, to drop some nice wise bombs, I'd be all about it. But apparently, they're pretty uh, nefarious most of the time. Yeah, I think everyone could get into that, but um, unfortunately, that's usually not what they're about. So uh, the Lemures of, or Lemures, Lemures, yeah. Lemures, I don't know. One of them. The Lemures, oh yeah, one of those, um, of Rome were restless or angry dead who needed to be placated through a festival known, known as Lemuria. This ritual developed from a pair of observances observances held earlier in the year, so Parentalia, which honoured the spirits of one, one's ancestors, and Feralia, which honoured the spirits of loved ones lost. So two different festivals sort of come together in the Lemuria. The dead could return to haunt and trouble the living for any number of reasons, but chiefly because of improper funeral and burial rites, including ignoring their wishes as expressed in wills. 
So you better do what they say in their in their will, or your ancestors are coming back to haunt you. Um, the Lemures would disrupt lives, wandering the streets and causing all kinds of trouble unless Lemuria was observe, observed and they were assured that their grievances would be addressed. I'm not sure how you do that. It doesn't, the article I was looking at didn't <laughs> say. I assume that it's not like that you, like potentially it's just like a court situation where they take you to court and then they say, this person ignored my will and they go, okay, ghost man, um, we'll look into that for you. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, there's um, no instructions. That's the only thing. Ghosts don't come with instructions. No, they don't. In Celtic traditions, such as in Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, Samhain was the end of one cycle and the beginning of the next, and it was thought that at this time the veil between the living and the dead grew thin. So can I just clarify? Dead... You said you pronounced that, but I, I you pronounced that differently, but Sam Hain is also a thing, right? Like that's a demon? No. Isn't Sam Hain uh, a demon as well? Sa- so Sam... I don't know if it is a name of the demon. It could just be what it, if it's supernatural, you've watched, it's probably wrong. Um, okay. So Samhain is the Celtic festival of the dead, basically. It's it's how it's the original Halloween. Um, and as far as I know, no demons have been named after it, but I could be wrong. I didn't really look into it. I've heard it before. Um, but it's pre. Maybe, I don't know. And there was definitely an episode pre, of Supernatural about it. Yeah. So it's pre-Christian. So it's possible that um, in an effort of assimilating Samhain into um, All Hallows' Eve and then into All Saints' Day and then to Halloween, they just decided that they'd name a demon after the original holiday. Christianity is like, they're always like, look, we want to, like, we're willing to change our religion slightly so that we can incorporate all these other people. We're going to change our narrative a little bit here. (laughs) Yeah. They they love doing that. Yeah, so, yeah, that's... um, it's Celtic, hence why it's spelt Samhain, but it's pronounced Samhain. So, yeah, it was the end of one cycle and the beginning of the next. The veil between the living and the dead grows thin and the dead can then walk again in life is basically the idea of that sort of time period that this festival takes place over. So this takes place in, or this took place in late October, early November, hence the Halloween, and is traditionally considered to begin at sundown on the 31st of October and go until the 2nd of November. So if you really want an extended Halloween, that's when you should be celebrating. Um, the dead were thought to walk through, freely through the world during this time and people would prepare meals, which their departed friends and relatives enjoyed while alive. Samhain was an important celebration when the harvest was brought in, cattle were slaughtered and salted for winter, and the bones were burned, a practice which gave rise to the bone fires which today are known as bonfires. Ah. Um, the darker side of Samhain, however, was that dead who were restless were also free to roam, and so people initiated the practice of wearing masks so they would not be recognised by a spirit who may wish one harm. So that's where the idea of dressing up from Halloween came from, to hide from, from the angry spirits. That yeah, I think I've heard that down. before. It's, it's to trick the spirits. It is. So in ancient Japan, Japan individuals of death were thought to be transformed into spirits and it was important for the living to honour their spirit, the spirits of their ancestors. This could be done by prayers and small offerings at a shrine built for, for that purpose in the family home. If the spirits of the ancestors were not so honoured and remembered, then they would become hungry spirits or gaki who are perpetually hungry and thirsty, have huge bellies, bellies and torment the living by bringing back 
bad luck and illnesses. At the same time, ancestors could help protect the fortunes of the living. Stories of ghosts of dead mothers caring for their still living children are particularly common in in that sense. But you know, you could the idea is you could go either way. Spirits can be good or they can be really bad. Light side, dark side. Exactly. Um, got to appease those ghosts, man. The hungry ghosts. So. <laughs> In certain East Asian countries, there is the Buddhist and Taoist Ghost Festival, which sounds awesome. It sounds sick. Also known as the Hungry Ghost Festival, even better. <laughs> Hungry ghosts. Um, specifically in Chinese culture, the 15th day of the seventh month in the lunar calendar is called Ghost Day. And the seventh month in general is regarded as the Ghost Month, whole month of Spooky Man, um, in which ghosts and spirits, including those of deceased ancestors come out from the lower realm and visit the living um, intrinsic to the ghost month is the veneration of the dead in which traditionally the filial piety of descendants extends to their ancestors even after death so it has to do with the whole concept of ancestor worship um, which is not something that western countries really get into that much um, in their ghost law and ghost law is a thing, by the way. That's a new word I learned today. Ghost law. Law specifically. Specific to ghosts. ghosts. Yep. Who knew? Who would have thunk? I think it would be really cool to be like a professor of ghost law. I think that would be an awesome position to if, hold. If anyone was going to go study, I'm sure it was it's you. You're going to add it to your list of weird things studied. <laughs> I would love to be the person with the most weird things studied. Um, so activities during the month um, of the ghost month, ghost month include preparing ritualistic food offerings, burning incense and burning paper money for visiting spirits of the ancestors. There is also an element of fear and the need to appease possibly unhappy and angry ghosts. These angry ghosts, man, they just keep popping up <laughs> everywhere. Um, food is prepared and offered to any hungry ghosts who may not have had safe passage to the afterlife and are suffering. At the end of the festival period, miniature paper boats and lanterns are released on the water to um, give directions to lot to the lost ghosts and spirits of the ancestors and other deities, so that they may travel safely back to the afterlife. Cool, right? Yeah. So generally, um, forced ghosts seem like the raddest version of all ghosts because they are super chill and they're just there to give you some sweet, tight life lessons. Yeah, they're just hanging out, happy to and help, and then give you the nod of respect as you burn their body. And then um, piss off. What are they Whereas, doing when they're not around? Like, where are, are they? Just exist? Are they like I, one with the force? They're like existing. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think they're just floating around. And like, like, it's like when you ascend and start, you just like, yeah, and you manifest. You're floating around as like cosmic dust, having a good time. I mean, uh, as much fun as you can have doing cosmic. Like, if I if I were to do, I would. Either that or they're like, you know, like the ghosts, like the ancestor spirits in Milan and they're just having like a conference somewhere watching <laughs> everything that's happening. Just having a hangout. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of Milan when you were talking about that last one there, like the, the idea of like family spirits and then I was thinking specifically of Milan. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's, it's, this, it's um, from, you know, the same culture. Um, ancestor worship is very big in a lot of Asian countries. So they have a lot of um, ghost lore that comes from that because you have to appease the spirits of the dead. In every single one of these um, examples, the dead are, are unhappy and you have to appease them for them to leave you alone. 
I like the um the nicer version of like I think it's specifically like um Day of the Dead or like it's it's in Coco is like the idea is like you don't appear you yeah. just have to remember them and that keeps their ghost yeah. alive. That's a cool spirit. Like Force Ghost, you don't have to worry about that. Like you're just alive yeah. if you learned it. But that's like a nicer version than jumping straight to like appeasing them. It's like we need to keep their memory alive so that their ghost can live on. Yeah, I did. Li- I did. Um. I could have done Day of the Dead, but it just uh, that's covered in a lot of things. So I thought I'd, and also like it's not. Um, I don't want to. It's not our culture. Like you could, like we're not, um, from China or Japan or any of the other places either. But they tend to be more talking about, uh, ghost law as opposed to actual practices. Yeah. So, and also there are people who've covered Day of the Dead better, and there's lots of information out there on it. Whereas these ones are a bit. Yeah, or a bit lesser. Well, I mean, everyone sort of knows about Halloween, but some of it is a bit lesser known. Like I'd never heard of the Lemuse of Rome before. But every basically every culture has a conception of the restless undead who are who are coming back to haunt you, to haunt your ass. They're coming to get you. Unless you are one of, unless you're Shane Madey or Ryan Begara from BuzzFeed Unsolved Supernatural, in which case they can't find a ghost to save themselves. <laughs> I don't know. Ryan would tell you something different. Ryan would, but until Shane's convinced, I just, you that's know. The thing. Uh, that's the That's what I, I've, I've said the same thing to Alana. I'm like, if there was an episode and Shane came out and like was 100% convinced, you, I, I'm convinced. But at the, yeah, until then, yeah. I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> All right. So for once, we're not ending entirely on our philosophy and worldview. I do have some quotes afterwards, but we'll get to those in a min. Um, so I only have two points for philosophy and worldview this time because I've already aired so many of my opinions about the Jedi. I just don't have that many left to give you. So here's my two final nuggets of wisdom. Are you a force ghost right now, dispensing wisdom? I'd love to be. I I mean, I do enjoy being alive, but being a force ghost does seem like a pretty easy way to live because you're not dead, really. Your consciousness is eternal. Yeah. I'm kind of into that. That's pretty cool. I would ascend if I could. Yeah, totally. But um, for this moment, I am not a force ghost, but um, who knows? Maybe maybe the, the force ghost of Qui-Gon Jinn has visited me, is now speaking through me. The voice of Liam Neeson, just imagine it ringing through your head. Actually, save that for the next part. For now, just sit tight. I have so. a very particular set of skills. <laughs> okay. So, uh, realistically... The only valid Jedi are ones that don't commit themselves fully to the Jedi teaching or the light because light versus dark is the most absolute concept, as has been discussed in previous episodes, and only the Sith deal in those. Uh-huh. That's my first nugget of, of wisdom for you. That's also They're not valid. We didn't get into it. But saying only the Sith deal in absolutes is a dumb expression in on itself. Yes, like it the, is. I'm sure the Jedi deal in absolutes from time to time. You have they, to. They absolutely do. That's the thing. It's so that's that's why it it's so it just doesn't make any sense. But yes, only the Sith deal in absolutes. So light versus dark, Jedi versus Sith. Turns out they're all Sith. Sith everywhere. Sith everywhere. Fully Sith. Okay, that was unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Also, the Jedi would say that emotional and community support is not as important as inner peace and meditation, but they're wrong. Emotional attachments and support are very important, especially in hard times right now. So check in with your friends and family. Give them a call. Give them a call. 
make you know check that they're all right don't repress those emotions don't just say i'll move past it no give in and then move forward check in you know see a therapist if you have to yeah exactly practice good emotional health and mental health and then you can be better than a jedi exactly you can be the best form of a jedi and not many can say that. They had a whole order and majority of them sucked at being Jedi. So I mean, we don't know because they, they haven't explored. They haven't. We, we, we've got hints that Plo Koon isn't, but I'm sure that maybe there's more like Plo Koon. Maybe there's the I'd Plo Koon it. squad. I'd love, I'd love a show about the Plo Koon squad. The Plo Koon platoon. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> you should copyright that. I should. They might want it. They might. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to figure out, learn how to copyright. But it's like the, his name's probably already copyrighted, though. It's, it's a whole That's thing. True. It's going to be a whole thing. Yeah. It's gonna, you're going to be involved in many long and arduous lawsuits with the Disney company. Anyway, um, to finish off today, I have provided some bitchin' Master and Apprentice quotes. Still which read if you, it. I need to read it. It's so good. Which, if you don't know, is a book by Claudia Gray about um, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan in sort of the early years of Obi-Wan's apprenticeship. So let's get into it. This this is sort of where where my love for Obi Wan. It doesn't not Obi Wan. Well, I mean my love for Obi Wan, but also specifically for Qui Gon Jinn. It doesn't start, but it definitely grows from this book. Like from this book, I was like, oh yeah, no, those guys are actually great. <laughs> well, uh, Christmas is coming up soon. Put it on your list. I'd be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say no to this as a as a special Christmas present. Okay, good to know. I'll forget <laughs> that by December. But anyway, so um, first quote is between Qui-Gon Jinn and another character, Rael Averos, who is also a Jedi from the temple. Um, and Rael is sort of having a bit of a hard time. So he says, let's say I believe that someday there's going to be perfect balance in the Force, thanks to some kind of chosen one. Did you ever really, did, did you ever really think about what that would mean, Qui-Gon? It would mean the darkness would be just as strong as the light. So it doesn't matter what we do, because in the end, hey, it's a tie. It doesn't matter which side we choose. And Qui-Gon replies, it matters. It matters which side we choose, even if there will never be more light than darkness, even if there can be no more joy in the galaxy than there is pain. For every action we undertake, for every word we speak, for every life we touch, it matters. I don't turn towards the light because it means someday I'll win some sort of cosmic game. I turn towards it because it is the light. Have you read that on this show before? Or maybe you've just told me before. I've definitely I've read, read it that to before. you. Yeah. <laughs> I've read it to you because it was so good. I needed you to know. Yeah, it is very good. It's just, I was just like, it's so raw. It's so metal. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, Qui-Gon. He gets it. Yeah, he gets it. He's such a boss. Um, R.I.P., man. Yeah. Anyway, Born and and now the validation for all my feelings about the Jedi. Here's another, well, not necessarily a quote, but uh, an excerpt from Qui-Gon's thoughts when he from turns his, from down. His journal. He yeah, from his journal it. the day he um, turns down a position on the High Council of Jedi. <laughs> so um, it goes, Qui-Gon knew the Council to be wrong about many things. He felt they'd allowed the Jedi Order to become some sort of Chancellor's police rather than concentrating on knowing the Force. Yes, they were wise to refuse to rule, but unwise to simply accept the status quo. 
short-sighted to lose touch with the living force by spending so much of their time and energy enforcing laws that could easily be left to civilian authorities, immoral to refuse to act against the evils of slavery. And then the book sort of goes on, like later on it sort of says that Qui-Gon never stopped, like after the events of this book, never stopped talking to anyone he possibly could about fixing slavery. He was an advocate. He was. He was, yeah. And and it was just like, I, I don't know, this this excerpt justified all my feelings about the Jedi Order, basically. Because, yeah, it's they have a lot of issues. They've, they've lost themselves in bureaucracy yeah. and politics, and they've stopped becoming, and they've stopped doing, they've stopped listening, I suppose, to the Force in the way that you would ex- that we would sort of expect Jedi to listen to the Force. Yeah. The way that the the original movies and then like the like have sort of like we sort of expected, you know, a bit less trade delegation. Yeah. The Jedi. It's also after crazy, the original though, movies. Because like it's not it's like not focused on like at all, but when you think about it and like it is very obvious, like slavery is a big problem and like it comes up in a lot of the movies yeah. now. I'm thinking about it's it like it's there, it's problem. there, especially in the Outer Rim. And it's the, part of yeah, it's part. It's one of the foundation of the world of the world building that George Lucas has put in place. Is that slavery is a huge problem in the galaxy? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And then yeah, it's like it's like it makes sense. That, like maybe like there's a couple of Jedi who are like we should do something about this. Yeah, and like Qui Gon actually confronts Yoda in Master Apprentice, and like it's just like. I the, the yeah, the Jedi aren't committed to interfering in the status quo, and that's sort of part of their issue is that they sort of get stuck in their own place and they can't break out of what they've confined themselves to by becoming a political entity. Yeah. Anyway, that just made me feel really good because I was like, oh, Qui-Gon agrees with me. Vindication. <laughs> Vindication. And by that I mean Claudia Gray agrees with me, but it's basically the same thing at this point. Like she's she must be Qui Gon for having she written a book that good, so good, such a good book. Um, and his final um, thing, what he says to the council in turning them down for the position, um, and also his sort of the, another just another crystal clear example of that Qui Gon just gets it he just he just understands uh, what the force is meant to be um and hence why it's such a good book because you it's sort of like the force has been a bit wishy-washy in a lot of recent projects but some projects sort of really nail it down to to something that not necessarily makes a lot of sense but you can see how people would believe in it yeah whereas Sometimes, like, with a lot of the new movies and, like, you're just, like, and, like, some of the other projects they do, you're, like, I don't know why anyone cares. <laughs> All right. So Qui-Gon says, I wish to be silent for a while, to surrender to it, to accept whatever the force brings. And then in his, in his, in his head he says, that in the end was why the prophecies weren't dangerous to him, not the same way they'd been to others who'd been led to darkness. The danger came in thinking that knowing the future became a form of control over it. Finally, Qui-Gon understood that it was the exact opposite. Knowing the future meant surrendering to fate, surrendering surrendering to the ebb and flow of life. Only through that surrender could the Force be truly known. And, like, you just get why this guy became a Force ghost. Yeah, he gets it. You just it. get it. Oh, anyway, I just, deep. 
yeah, I just needed to share that with everyone so everyone can now get on the Qui-Gon train because I feel like not everyone is. <laughs> but he deserves recognition he for does. being just the bossest Jedi um, and just so wise and just so good. <laughs> anyway. I think that's a good a good point to end is the, the, the idea of the Jedi should be embodied by Qui-Gon. That's, I think that's where we've kind of ended up today. That like... is, that's where we've landed. Yep. Qui-Gon, best Jedi. Yeah. Liam Neeson will ship your award to you in the mail. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've got any, but I'll chuck some in. Recommendations, Clone Wars and Rebels are great. Like, not a lot of people have actually watched them. I know a lot of people do, but, like, a lot of people are, like, who are, who haven't heard, who are just not interested. They're actually good stuff in yeah. there. Yeah. I would say check out all the animated series. Um, I would also ch- say check out Master and Apprentice. It's a really good book. I mean, that's probably it in terms of, like, Jedi recommendations because yeah. that's what we're talking about today. Once we get past the animated series and, like, Master and Apprentice, there isn't really that much left. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend some of the other products that, disney has out so you know just you know whatever feels right for you <laughs> you can make your own star wars path through the oh, through the canon i mean it's not related it's not necessarily related to the jedi but the mandalorian is also good yeah it's good um yeah i was it doesn't really i i can see it like there's a religious aspect to the mandalorian but it's it's separate from the jedi i'd say so yes <laughs> we might cover that when we eventually do an episode on mandalorians because i hope we do because that's uh, a thing i'd love to talk, talk about but we'll see what happens. Yep. Um, and also, as we said last time, if you have anything that you want us to take a look at, let us know um, and we'll see if we can work it into our schedule. Yeah, message us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, podcast yeah. at spikytrap.com is our email. Um, you can do that. Also, while you're at it, go give us a like and a subscribe. Give us a review. Let us know. Even in the review, you can be like, oh, I love this episode. Would like more on some, on books or something. Like, It doesn't even have to be a specific thing. Just be like more... Just let us know. We want to hear from you. What TV show is something I can watch that I don't have to read? You know, just <laughs> just how just if yeah, if you have any suggestions, let us yeah. know. We're happy to take them. Um, although if it's something we're unfamiliar with, you'll have to wait for us to get caught up to get familiar with it. But uh, until then, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, thanks again, Finn, for uh, doing all the research and uh, letting me just chill out. Thank you, Morgan, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. Uh, see you later. Bye. This has been a Spiky Trap Radio production. For more Spiky Trap Radio content, please head to spikytrap.com.